Gina Della from Pella. Get up to five years no interest, five months no first payment, and 5% same-day order savings at Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin. 555's been extended, but only through October 31st. See PellaWI.com. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. So, Mike Spaulding, I'm very lucky because I came through in the clutch last night. Otherwise, I would have been in a lot of trouble. All right. All right. So, okay, once a month we, we play in this, this trivia mm-hmm. contest. It's a place we go to. And um, we won last night. And we, we won two months ago. And it's, it's once a month. And I, we, I have, I'm sort of the unofficial captain of the team. But I, I've been smart enough to – there's four couples. And I've put the, the, the team we have – generally speaking, I'm surrounded by people who are much smarter and much more accomplished than I am. <laughs> that's know, a good so, captain. That's right, a good captain. Exactly. So that, that, that's kind of how it works. And, and, and now the one thing is – is I, I'm depending on the the night. I can be really good at this because I am a font of useless but important information. You know, I like one of the questions last night was um, in the Janis Joplin song Mercedes Benz. What type of car do all her friends drive? Oh, is that you're putting me on well, the spot yeah, right yeah, now? You know? uh, I'm going to go with a uh, Chrysler LeBaron. No, all her friends drive Porsches. <laughs> but, but, but I see, I knew that. That was it, 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 That's the kind of like useless but important information that I have. I, I, I have it, so I nailed that one. Um, 1969, in in response to the success of Rowan and Martin's Laugh-In, CBS started its own country-based program. What was the name of the program? Oh, um, Grand Junction Railroad? Hee-haw. All right. Yeah, I was say, but I got that one. No, see, a little on the nose. But, for but, me. but but no, but see, I, I understand. But I am a font of useless but in, important information. But the, the 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 difficult thing is, and this is where I, I kind of had to pull through, is you, you've got eight people on a team. Everybody's very very smart, and you know, so they ask the question, and then you have to kind of reach a consensus. Now, on any given question, a lot of times, you know, maybe half the people won't know. But then, and so that that's fine. They're out of discussion. But then other people have opinions, and what happens when the opinions differ? For example, my friend early on in the competition last night, my friend. Joe, who is a brilliant and accomplished man, who, by the way, knew right off. One of the questions was, there are six countries that border on the Black Sea. Name four of them. I, I, I don't know exactly where the Black Sea is, but immediately Joe rattled off five of the six right away. And we would have if we thought about it, we would have come up with six. But I mean, so that really smart guy. Um, but the the question was from the world of sports. He knows a lot about sports, and it was Sparky Anderson managed two teams to World Series championships. What were those teams? And the first one, everybody, Cincinnati. He was famous for Cincinnati. So the second one, Joe and I, Joe says, it's Kansas City. And I said, no, it's Detroit. He said, no, it's Kansas City. No, it's Detroit. So we're kind of going back and forth, and I'm pretty sure it's Detroit, but he's equally sure that it's Kansas City. So, um, you know, I'm kind of the captain. It's early on in the evening. I, I don't want to be overly assertive, so we put Kansas City down. And of course, it's Detroit, and so then I, I'm teasing him mercilessly over the course of the evening. But you have to have that, that kind of mm-hmm. balancing. But he talked me off of the answer I knew was right. Now, he redeemed himself, like I say, because we had a whole bunch of points because he knew all the country that bordered on the Black Sea. But but I've talked myself off an issue. So later on, there's a question um, in, I don't know, they, they've made a discovery in Georgia, not the state, but the country, you know, off, uh, by, uh, by Russia. They, they made a discovery of um, jars 
that they think date back to like 1500 BC that had an alcohol in them. What was that alcohol? Was it beer? No. Well, see, no. Okay. So, but no, it, it wasn't beer, but that would have been a good, that was it. We're in the discussion. Mm-hmm. And my dear friend, Patty, Patty says it's wine. And I said, do you know that? She says, no, no, but that's just my guess. And I, I was thinking wine is too obvious. I, that, that's, that's too that's obvious an answer. It's, it's just too obvious an answer. And I'm starting to think, okay, geographically, this is kind of by Russia. That's, you know, the state, George is kind of by Russia. I'm, I'm thinking, I'm, it's gotta be vodka. Wine would be too easy. Yeah. And Patty is saying, it's, it's wine. And I'm saying, no, 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 I think it's vodka, it's vodka. So having allowed myself to be talked out of what I knew was a correct answer, but the difference was I knew the answer was Detroit. I say, no, no, no I, we're, we're going to put down vodka. So I put down vodka. It's wine. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's wine. So she's just like looking at me. So the rest of the night, just like I'm teasing my buddy Joe, now she's like, okay, I said wine. You didn't want to go along with it. And it's a close contest last night. So we, we come down to this point where – if we would have lost by two points for the next month, I know Patty would have remembered that I was the one that talked, that, that, that didn't take her suggestion of wine. But I came through at the end because I, I nailed the final question, which was, the, there are nine members of the United States Supreme Court. Those nine members went to three, there's th- they're represented by three law schools. They went to three law schools. Name those law schools. Harvard. That would be one. Okay, good. Um, uh, Princeton. Uh, Yale's too obvious, right? No, it's Yale. Yale okay, it's all right, Harvard, so Yale. The third one would be the tough one. Um, w- would it be like uh, Cornell? No, 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 no. See, this is this is your current events. It, it's Notre Dame. It's the it's the newest Supreme Court justice, Ann Barrett Comey, who went to Notre Dame. Oh yeah. And there was remember there was kind of she, she's the one non Ivy League justice, and there was controversy about you know is she too aligned with the anti abortion force? Yep. But but I knew that I, I I knew it was Notre Dame. So you know we I, I was able to redeem myself, or else. I'd be hearing from my dear friend Patty for the next month about how I talked her off of the wine thing. Never so. invite me to trivia is what I'm learning. Well, it's no, what you're learning. no, no, no. It's, it's, you just have to be able to kind of go with the flow. Here, here's one. Did you ever watch the show Seinfeld? Oh, uh, yeah. Okay. In the character, and, and uh, I would not have known this, but other team members did. Um, in the show Seinfeld, the George Costanza character says if he ever had a son, he'd name his son Seven. Mm-hmm. Who 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 is who is he naming the kid after? Mickey Mantle. You knew that, right? Yeah. See, yeah, I, yeah. all right, there you go. A little more, little more nineties. I'm I'm in. Okay, right. That that was it, and that's so we, we we had that as well. But the bottom line is, you know, we pulled it out. We ended up winning. But it is this kind of interesting dialogue with you, where you kind of like negotiate and you go, all right, okay, I don't know that that answer exactly, but. It's a unique, um, it's a unique uh, uh, experiment, right? Do you do you tinker with your team before you found the ones that you are going to play with now? We have friends that we invite. No, 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 and, and people and, and people come in and out, but we, we're kind of getting down to a rate because everybody has fun. We we enjoy doing it and stuff. I, and, I think that should be a lesson for all of us, right? If you really don't know what you're talking about, <laughs> maybe just lay out on just, one every once in a while, just, right? <laughs> just 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 don't argue. Well, that that's it. That was kind of Patty's point. Now, now in her in my defense. I think she was guessing that it was wine. So it wasn't like she definitively knew that, like she read in a story. But but I just thought wine was too obvious. So I, I talked myself out of – I talked the team out of the obvious answer, cost ourselves two points. Thankfully, we won. So hopefully all is forgiven. I think so. What do you guys win? 
Oh, oh! If if you win, you, it's 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 bogo. Buy one get one meal. Oh, there the, you go. At the place. Yeah, so that, no, it's, that's nice. No, it it it, and you get a bunch of them. So you get one for every team member. So no, it's it's there. There there's a prize. Second prize is uh, like a free drink, and third is like a free appetizer or something like that. So no, we we go for those bogos. It because <laughs> heaven forbid you should have to like like buy a meal or something like that. But it's kind of a fun thing that we do. So. Sounds. I I love trivia. Yeah, I'm a big I'm a big fan. I like the the fountain of useless knowledge. Well, that is well. right. Yeah. A, a font of of useless but important information, and it's kind of a and and somebody will you'll say something, and somebody will say, "How did you possibly know that?" And it, okay, here's one that I that stumped me. Actually, we only we only right. missed a couple questions, but um, it's in 1793 the first Catholic university in the United States was founded. What is it? 1793. Oh, uh, is a Holy Cross? Ah, see, I would. I we said Holy Cross. We were debating whether it was Boston University or Holy Cross. We were both wrong. It was Georgetown. Oh, they need to put that. They should put that on their like logo. I, I just, I, I, we said Holy Cross too. We were wrong. It, so. That one just seems so odd, right? It's right there in the Northeast. It, it, yeah, well, that's it. Was it was it was it was kind of like like wine. I thought it was too obvious. <laughs> I went with vodka. Got that one wrong as well. All's well that ends well. So to my friend Patty, sorry. Next time, I promise. You know, we'll we'll we'll, we'll take your answer, and then you can live with the consequences of whether it's right or wrong. When we come back, speaking of living with consequences, it's another one of these horrible stories. I don't know how often this is going to happen before people wake up. Stick around. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. How often is this going to happen before we realize we've got to get serious? Here's the way it's reported in the Journal Sentinel. The headline, unlicensed driver charged in fatal crash at Capitol and Green Bay. A 27-year-old Milwaukee man who never had a valid driver's license, but a dozen prior driving convictions, has now been charged in the latest instance of the city's reckless driving problem. Jamara Doyle, 17, was a passenger in a, Se- in a Chevy Monte Carlo that police say was going more than 90 miles an hour through the busy intersection of Green Bay Road and Capitol Drive, which is about seven blocks from where I'm sitting now, on Saturday night. Um, Jamara Doyle died at the scene after being thrown from the car when it crashed into a bus shelter. The driver, Kenneth D. Wright, was charged Thursday with second-degree reckless homicide and driving after revocation, um, resulting in death, both as a, hit, habitual, uh, as a habitual offender because of his 12 prior convictions for driving without a license in the past five years. He has also been cited for speeding four times since 2019, three times for 20 miles an hour over the limit. Um, he was charged with felony violation, no contact order that prohibited him from being with Doyle, again, as a habitual offender. According to the complaint, shortly before 10 at night, people began calling 911 about a car crashing through a light pole, flipping and burning. As firefighters tried to save Doyle, that's the 17-year-old, Wright told police he had been eastbound on Capitol at no more than 30 miles an hour when another car cut him off, forcing him to swerve. 
All right, so that's his story. I'm driving. I'm, I'm driving the speed limit. Somebody cuts me off. I had to swerve. Officer said evidence at the scene, the tracks, the damage to the Chevy, and the light pole suggested the car had been traveling faster. Another driver who was stopped at the light on Green Bay Road estimated that the Monte Carlo had been going 100 miles an hour and said no other car was involved. The car's computer module later showed it was going 83 miles an hour with the brake applied right before the crash, suggesting it was going much faster before the braking began. So let's review the bidding here. You've got a 17-year-old who's dead. Okay, the 17-year-old is in the car with a 27-year-old guy who is driving 90, 100 miles an hour, Green Bay, on uh, uh, Capitol Drive, going east, again, just a few blocks from where I'm sitting, busy intersection, Green Bay and Capitol, loses control of the car, crashes into a bus shelter, the car flips, the 17-year-old is thrown from the car, they are dead, car catches on fire, and so you, you understand what's happening, high rate of speed. But But the staggering detail of this is, of course, that the driver, who has never had a valid driver's license, 27 years old, has a dozen prior driving convictions. That is convictions. That is convictions. So if he's got a dozen prior driving convictions, you know he has been driving hundreds, probably thousands of times. All right, well, but not only do we know that, but authorities know that. 12 prior convictions for driving without a license in the past five years, cited for speeding four times since 2019, three times for 20 or more miles per hour over the limit. All right, so let's review the bidding here. So you've got somebody who's never had a driver's license, who nonetheless keeps getting stopped over and over again for driving without a driver's license. And yet we do nothing. We put him back out on the road to do it again and again. So then, having been convicted multiple occasions for driving without a license, we get, he gets stopped for, for not only driving without a license, but driving 20 miles an hour over the limit. What happens? Don't do it again. We send him right back out on the street, and he does the same damn thing. Then he does the same damn thing again. Then again. Now, finally, at 100 miles an hour, he loses control of the car and kills somebody. And, yes, presumably he's going to be going to prison for for decades. But why was he on the street in a position to do this in the first place? Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. There are people out there who do not care about other people. They do not care about the law, but we make it easy for them to not care about the law. I'm sorry. Maybe this makes me this heartless, you know, conservative or whatever, but I would argue that, oh, after about seven or eight convictions for driving without a license, when you catch somebody in a car going 25 miles an hour over the speed limit, again without a license, what you have to do is you've got to put them in prison. You take the car away, yeah, sure, but you put them in prison. And then if they get out of prison, then they come back and you catch them again, driving 20 miles an hour over the speed limit. You put them back in prison. 855-616-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. How much of this do we continue to tolerate? Because you know darn well that this was going to happen with this guy. 
Every judge that came into contact with this guy had to know that just saying, okay, well, we're going to give you a fine and we're going to tell you not to do it again. You had to know that that wasn't going to work. The only thing that is going to stop this guy is when you put him in prison for a long period of time. And unfortunately, a 17-year-old had to die as a result of this. Now, the 17-year-old was in his, in his car. That that that's that so you know they apparently know knew each other or whatever it's still a tragedy but it could have been it could have been you it could have been me it could have been your wife it could have been your husband it could have been your kids could have been anybody who happened to be on i don't know waiting for a bus or on that corner or whatever when this guy's driving 100 miles an hour how much of this are we going to tolerate before we say let's take these people and let's put them away 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Because nothing short of that is going to stop this. I am not arguing that the first, if somebody... You know, loses their driver's license and the first time they, they get caught that you gotta put them to jail, in jail for three years. But I'm gonna tell you something. I would say sometime around the fifth or the sixth or the seventh time this person got caught, there's no excuse not to send him to prison for years. 855-616-1620, we discuss. Back to take your calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Steve in Oconomowoc. Steve, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. I'm a retired state trooper, and back when I started with the patrol in 1983 and I was working on the road in 84, if you stopped somebody who was suspended, they got a ticket. If they were revoked, you told their car and they were arrested and taken to jail. Yep. (laughs) Now you fast forward to present day, and we're just giving them a slap on the wrist. I mean, you write them the ticket, and they're back on their way, and the next day, literally, (laughs) I've stopped people back-to-back. You know, when I was working the road, and it's just ridiculous. I mean, I don't mean to really get down on the judges because most of them are outstanding individuals, but something definitely needs to be done because this crazy driving... They're killing people. Well, I mean, right. I mean, never be behind the wheel of the car. Well, yeah. I mean, I mean, you just look at this case, Steve. Okay, so the guy's he's 27, never ever had a driver's license. Twelve prior convictions in the last five years for driving without a license, including several where he's going 20 or more miles an hour over the limit. And and all we do is put him back out on the street. And and inevitably, this this is you knew that something like this was going to happen. You know, he have, he ends up killing somebody. Now he'll be in prison. But but why did we? let him go do this over and over again and get into a position where he could kill somebody. Exactly. He never should have been placed with the opportunity to be able to do that. He should have been in the jail right. a long time ago. No, thank, thanks for calling. And, and this, this is the ongoing... And, and I'm glad Steve called in because I think if, if you talk to people in law enforcement, retired or current, they will tell you that that is one of their biggest frustrations. It, it's it's the catch and release thing. You catch somebody who is driving in a reckless fashion, and and you you nowadays you, you give them a ticket, they crumple up the ticket, they throw it in the ground. They have no intention of paying it because they know that the next time they get caught, and the next time they get caught, and the next time they get caught, there's not going to be any consequence at, at all. And sooner or later, somebody ends up dead we really have to wake up around here there, there's just no question about it how much more of this collectively are we going to take i firmly believe that the general public is way ahead of where the, the chattering class of politicians and prosecutors and, and court officials are on this because i think people are sick to 
no pun intended, sick to death of this. And, and they're, they're just tired of the reckless driving, and they're tired of it being committed by these repeat offenders who do not care. Jeff, how can you say the guy doesn't care? Twelve convictions for driving without a license. Convictions for driving without a license and out on the road again, driving 100 miles an hour and then loses control of the car. And now a 17-year-old is dead. But you knew it was going to happen. It was absolutely inevitable. And we, that is collectively society, the court system, the politicians that weren't willing to lock people up for doing this after the second or third time, we all share a degree of responsibility. Why can't we wake up? Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. This week's sponsor for the Jeff Wagner Home Improvement Showcase presented by Great Midwest Bank is Kohler Services. Give them a call at 262-357-3300 or visit KohlerServicesWI.com to see all they have to offer. From inspiration to installation, reimagine your bathing experience and contact Kohler Services today for a free consultation. All right, have you ever heard the term docent? Uh, Docents are typically... They are they are volunteers typically who work at various places to supplement the staff at places and offer uh, guided tours or, or things like that. Now you know so you, you maybe you go to an art museum um, or you go to a regular museum and there'll be people that are, are there to, to do take people on tours. Um, they, they a lot of times they're, they're volunteers. They're people from the community who care a lot about the particular projects and they know a lot about it and they volunteer their time to try to uh, again assist groups and things in the community. In Chicago, there is the um, Art Institute of Chicago, which has been around for forever. And for the last 60 plus years, the Art Institute of Chicago has depended on on docents to help, uh, again, with, with tours. You know, school groups would come in and, and people would be assigned, okay, you, you go and, you know, you, you take this particular school group and you take them on a tour of the museum. They, they've used, these are volunteers. As a general rule, in the particular case of the um, Art Institute of Chicago, they tend to be older white women who are involved and have been involved with the museum for, for quite a while. In some cases, maybe they're, they're donors, but they're, they're people who have a real passion for this. And uh, th- there's training. It's, it's not like these are, are untrained people. They tend to be retirees. They tend to be, I say, like like older. They're, they're volunteers. There's extensive training. You can't just walk in off the street and say, I, I, I want to be a tour guide. I want to be a docent. As, as a matter of fact, you have to go undergo 18 months of twice a week training to qualify for one of these volunteer positions. And there's testing, etc., etc. The current crop of docents that they use, on average, have 15 years of experience in training, research, collaboration, and facilitating the high-quality tours. Okay, so we're, we're not just talking about people that have just, like, walked off the, off the street. These are, these are volunteers. They are patrons of the art, and they are people who care very deeply about this museum. Okay, so why are we talking about this museum, and why are we talking about the docents? Because the museum has just canned 
all 82 of these volunteer tour guides. Um, last month, a letter was sent to all of these active tour guides, all 82 of them, again, most of whom older white women who, who tend to be wealthier. They, again, they tend to be patrons of the arts. The letter says that um, thanks, but no thanks. Your program, the program that you participate in is like a volunteer tour guide, is being terminated. Thanks, pack your stuff, you're out the door. The letter says the museum is instead of using these volunteers, they're going to be phasing in a new model where they are going to hire paid educators to do some of the tours. Okay, so they're, they're transforming. They say, we, we don't want to have volunteers. We're going to hire some some paid, like former art teachers or whatever to do it. That's well and good. But then it also says, in addition to the paid educators, we're going to also bring in volunteers, which is what the, the current crop of, of docents are. But the volunteers that they are going to be bringing in are going to be brought in in a way that allows community members of all income levels to participate, responds to issues of class and income equity, and does not require financial flexibility to participate. By that, it means a lot of the people that are currently being these tour guides, they're they're retired. You know, they, 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 they don't have to work. They don't have to charge the museum. They volunteer their time. So the museum is saying, okay, we're going to hire some paid guides. All right, that's all well and good. But we're also going to have volunteers. But we don't want you volunteers because you're too old, you're too white, you're too wealthy. What we want is we want to choose our volunteers in a way that allows community members of all income levels to participate, responds to issues of class and income equity, and does not require financial flexibility to participate. All right, our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, the Chicago Tribune, in its editorial, describes this. Well, they start off with um, shameful, and then it moves on. But let's tee this up. You are essentially saying you've got all these people who volunteered. They've done this for decades. They are highly trained. They don't charge a dime for their services. They do this because they love what they do and they love the museum and they love the art and they're being told, okay, we don't want you anymore essentially because we are trying to find a more diverse group. So thanks, but no thanks. 855-616-1620. That is the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, I swear, some of these stories come along and, and you almost don't believe them. In, in a day and age where it's almost impossible to find people who will volunteer for anything, here you have people who know the subject matter inside and out, who nobody argues that they don't do a good enough job, but the museum is saying, we're going to kick you to the curb simply because, well, you don't fit a certain demographic that we think that we should have. 855-616-1620. I find this appalling. What do you think? We discuss in a moment. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. One of our texters says, well, Jeff, they they should have slowly introduced other volunteers, not dismissed all the ones they have. How stupid. Well, it it gets even more stupid than that. Apparently, the, the museum has, for the last several years, been trying to recruit 
a more diverse, quote unquote, group of, of docents. They, they've been actively trying to reach out and find more persons of color, et cetera, but, but they can't find them. Well, why? Because, well, in order to, to do this job, you need to have, you know, extensive training. It, it's an unpaid job. It's a volunteer job. So there, there's not the, the, the number of people and the general universe of folks who are going to be able to come in and do this are, especially on the volunteer level, are, are very, very limited. So it look, it'd be one thing to me if this museum had decided, look, we, we want to get rid of the volunteers. We want to go to an all paid model and we want to hire, you know, college graduates have, who have, you know, degrees in art history because we think that they'll provide better educational standards. Okay. That if, if that's what they want to do, that's fine, but that's not what they're doing. This is clearly an attempt to get rid of the older, wealthier, predominantly white group of volunteers that they've had who've been doing a great job in, in order to let's let's kind of change the, the makeup of our docents to make up for the, the background of the community. And diversity is fine. I mean, I, I get the goal they're trying to do, but is this the way you try to accomplish it? By the way, a number of people are texting saying, well, it sounds like you've got a lawsuit. no. Because they're not employees, they're, they're not. They're, since they are are volunteers, I think the law is is very very clear that they're not covered by federal employment laws. Yeah, if they were employees and you tried to dismiss them, there'd be, I mean, there'd probably be a half dozen different grounds that you could sue the museum. But because they're volunteers, they, they have no protection at all. Okay, let's start with uh, Ray in Sheboygan. Ray, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. You know, um, this is racist. It is. It, it truly is. This is not right. It, it's, it's completely wrong. And if this were in reverse, uh, oh. Al Sharpton, Jesse oh. Jackson, uh, everybody would be screaming <laughs> yeah. really, really loud that this is racist. I- Oh, oh, well, right. Yeah. No, you're right. No, right. You think, I mean, you, you raise a really interesting point. Imagine if this situation were not predominantly wealthy white women, you know, who, who were volunteering their time. Instead, this was same age group, but instead it was, it was black women or whatever. And if you suddenly said, okay, we're going to just get rid of all of you. We're going to just get rid of all of you because we want to find younger people. We want to find a more diverse group. We've got think we've got too many black people that are doing this, so we're going to fire you all. And again, they're volunteers, so I understand it, it's a different sort of thing. But you just get rid of all these people. Can you imagine, even if it wasn't a basis for a federal employment lawsuit, you know that there would be people who would be protesting and picketing. Now, don't get me wrong. I, I have no problem at all with the idea of, hey, maybe we want to try to find, you know, we, we want we have to have a, a progression here. So, you know, if we've got a bunch of our, of our guys who are volunteers and they're, they're women in their 70s and their 80s or whatever this is, and, and we need to have a, a younger group that's coming up, well, that makes perfect sense to me. I, I, I get it. And I also appreciate the idea of, you know, the diversity. And if, if you want to find more people of color, I think that's a noble goal. But they're just, they just got rid of this program in general. They haven't been able to find 
people of color or younger people to do these jobs on a volunteer basis. So their answer is, let's just get rid of all of these people. Let's not try to integrate younger people or more racially diverse people in them because we can't find them. So we're just going to get rid of all these people and then we're going to start over. But older white women need not apply. As a further insult, they said, well, what they would do is they would give the people who've been volunteering, they'll give you passes to the museum. You'll get a lifetime pass to come back to the museum. Well, if I, if I was one of these guides and I had been treated in this way, there's no way in you know what that I'd be going back to that museum now or forever. Ruth in Kenosha. Ruth, you're on WTMJ. Yes, hi, Jeff. Hi, Ruth. Um, I have, hi, I have a sister um, who lives in D.C., and, you know, the museums there are spectacular. Mm-hmm. She was at the Library of Congress also. Um, she's a, a docent. She's a volunteer there. And... Um, at uh, a few others. And anyway, she um, would be devastated if they let her go. She's a, a, a white woman. She is not wealthy. She is retired, but she has um, really, enri- it's been so enriching for her to uh, huh. have the opportunity that she has. And she also um, retired from software engineering. So she has been able to, during the pandemic, um, go to a skill set that they tapped into beautifully mm-hmm. and help them with all of their volunteer Zoom. Right. And during that whole time frame. So <laughs> to me, it's like missed opportunities to let, to not, to no, let it- people go. Yeah, for 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 what for what purpose? Like, like I say, I could understand if they decided we want to we want to phase out the we want to phase out the volunteer program, and we want now it would be bizarre to me in today's day and age where everybody has trouble raising money and things. But if if they decided, hey, we we want to go to paid professional staff, we want to get rid of the volunteers. Okay, you could at least understand that that's what they're trying to do. They want the young art majors. But to simply say we've got one group of trained, experienced volunteers, we're going to get rid of you because you're not diverse enough, so we're going to try to find people who are younger and, you know, who aren't as white or whatever, when you haven't been able to recruit those people in the first place over the last couple of years, what, what, what could these people be I, thinking? <laughs> it just makes no sense. It's like they're just shooting themselves in the foot. I, I, right. No. Yeah. No. Absolutely. No. Thanks for calling, Ruth. Now, in your point, now you say correct that that your um your sister who works and volunteers and goes through all this training is not particularly wealthy, and she's just doing it because it it's it's something good and fun and to do. She enjoys doing it in retirement. It's obviously doing something positive for the community and like that. My guess. It's just a guess. But my guess is that a number of the people who work as these volunteers and these docents, my guess is that a number of them are patrons of this particular art museum, and either they or their families, you know, write write big checks. That's just just my guess because um, I think it's one of these situations where hey, I I care about this, I care about the museum, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I wonder how this is going to affect donations from the people. I mean, I I, I don't know if. All of a sudden, let's let's say there was I retire and I, I'm doing tours at, at some place and I'm very invested in this and I'm told all of a sudden that my sir and I, I donate you know write a decent sized check every year to the different 
place because I really believe in its mission. And all of a sudden I'm told, hey, your services are no longer needed as a volunteer, Jeff, not because you're doing a lousy job, but simply because, well, you don't fit into the demographic we're looking for. I have to tell you, that's probably the last time that museum gets a check from me. A lot of stories about this. Chicago uh, Tribune is all over this. New York Times has a story today that, that's trying to, I know, kind of like weasel and say, well, maybe this isn't a, as as big a, a deal, and they really appreciate the service of these volunteers. They're just trying to move into a different direction. Well, I get moving in a different direction. What I don't get is moving in a different direction simply because the people are too old or they, they don't fit the right demographic standard. That's what I don't understand. Shame on this museum. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the Friday Show. All right, I want to open up the phone lines. I want to revisit something I, I talked about just briefly at the end of yesterday's program. And because of my occasional poor time management skills, we really didn't have, we had a full bank of phone calls and we really didn't have enough time to take, I don't know sure I was able to take any phone call. I read a couple of the texts, but it's a really, to me, it's an interesting issue that is now starting to play out. Up until now, there has not been an opportunity for people to get their children, ages 5 through 11, vaccinated. And and we have all these conversations about vaccinations for adults and vaccinations for, you know, teenagers, people 12 and up. But the vaccinations for people ages 5 to 11, kids, has not been approved. That is changing now because it appears that in the very, very near future, um, the FDA and the CDC will sign off and will authorize the COVID-19 vaccination for children ages 5 to 11, at probably the Pfizer vaccine. And it's going to be the same, the way I understand it, it's going to be the same vaccine that's given to adults, except it's going to be in a, a lesser dose, like a, a half dose. The estimates in the Biden administration is very aggressive about this. They say that, you know, once once this is approved, um, once it's fully authorized, they plan to make the shot available at more than 25,000 pediatric offices, primary care sites, and nationwide at pharmacies and schools. So there is going to be a huge push to get younger children vaccinated. Um, Pfizer says that they believe that kids size doses kids kids size doses appear safe and nearly 91% effective at preventing symptomatic infections to 5 to 11 year olds okay that's what they're saying there and the thinking is that um that the shots could begin early next month and this would give the possibility where the first children in line would be theoretically fully protected by christmas our number, 855-616-1620, which is the Accunate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, right now, we are not talking about mandates. Right now, we're, we're not talking about the school saying, hey, if you want to send your kid to kindergarten, the kid has to be vaccinated. We're just talking about the option being out there for parents if they choose to have their children vaccinated. So let's tee this up, 855-616-1620. That is the Accunate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. 
when the vaccinations become available, and, and they will in the matter of a couple weeks would be my guess, are you planning to have your children vaccinated? Would you like to see your grandchildren be vaccinated? And again, we're talking about kids ages 5 to 11. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Would Would you do it? Would you like to see... Again, if maybe it's your grandkids, would you like to see them uh, vaccinated? If it's your kids, would do you intend to, to do it? 855-616-1620. On the one hand, Pfizer says these are safe, 91% effective. The flip side of this is COVID really has not been a major issue with children. Um, children haven't been huge transmitters of COVID during the course of the pandemic. If kids get covid they they don't tend to, as a general rule, there are always exceptions, but as a general rule, they don't tend to get very sick. You you don't hear of a large number of deaths from COVID in, in this particular age group. Now, of course, again, if a kid gets COVID and goes sees uh, grandma who's 85 years old and has all these immune compromised sort of things and transmitted, it, it can, in fact, be an issue. Most of the people that we know that have significant issues with COVID, most not all, but they're people with underlying health conditions and compromised immune systems, and they tend to be older. All right, 855-616-1620. Kids, ages 5 to 11, do you, would you vaccinate your kids? What do you think? We discuss in just a moment. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And, and I, I am intrigued by the response to this because at least right now, when it comes to 5 to 11-year-olds getting vaccinated, we're not talking about government mandates and there's not employer mandates right now. It's simply a decision that parents have to make. And I'm curious where people are. And as you might expect, we're being just swapped with texts. Our number 855-616-1620. And, and we're, we're all over the map. Uh, Jeff, I have a 5-year-old and and hell no, I'm not going to do that. Jeff, absolutely not. Um, let's see. Jeff, yes to both. Children and grandchildren. I think that this is absolutely the right thing to do. Jeff, I'm vaccinated. I'm pro-vaccine, but generally do not agree with mandates. With that being said, as an individual who made it through public education with all my vaccine shots, I do believe the government should mandate it, but not now. I think the vaccine is too new, and I believe a select amount of parents will refrain from getting their children vaccinated at least for another year or two. 855-616-1620. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Jeff, I would have my kids get the vaccine, but would wait a month or so to see if there are after effects from others. All right. Let's start with uh, Emily. Emily, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Okay. Kids getting vaccinated. What do you think? So I have um, a six-year-old. I also have a three-year-old and a four-year-old, but um, I'm really anxious and excited um, to get my six-year-old vaccinated as soon as he can get in. Okay, tell me why. Um, mostly, well, I, I believe in it, um, mm-hmm. I, but also, you know, I have my parents, his grandparents, that um, I don't want to have any concern you know, if he's carrying anything that they that I could pass on to them or on to me or their 
you know, their dad, my husband, um, their friends, anything. I just feel like it's a great protection for him and for everyone that we want to be around. So your so your concern would be fair to say your concern. N- nobody wants anybody to get sick with COVID, but it's less right, less about right. less about your child getting it because statistically, overwhelmingly, it, it, he's not likely to be hospitalized if he gets it. But your concern is he's around. He's going to be around other people, including your grandparents, your parents, and stuff. And, and you want to make sure that your child isn't a spreader. That's one of the big factors that you're considering. I, w- I would say that's, yeah, that's fair. Yeah. I mean, I'm definitely concerned, you know, that he could get it, too, obviously. Yeah, sure. But, um, yeah, it's it's definitely the spreading, and we just need it to stop. So, okay, good yeah. enough. No, thanks for really No, there's no, right, thanks And there's no, by the way, there's, there, to me, at least on this particular issue, there, there's no right or wrong. It's a decision that you, you make for your individual kids. Now, if we were talking about a rule that said parents, you you can't send your child to grade school. It can't go to a public grade school, or um, we're going to do whatever we can to try to force force the schools to force you to make that decision to have your second grader vaccinated. That that brings in a whole different range of conversations. But at this point in time, that's not where we are. It's just the vaccine is is going to be available. They're going to make it readily available. They're going to make it easily accessible. And right now, it's just simply a decision as to whether you want to do that or not with your kid. Uh, here's a text, Jeff. No way. I'll hold off for my five and seven year olds. Let's pump the brakes and see what happens. If this was like the Spanish flu, where healthy 18 year olds were dropping over dead, I, I'd certainly get them vaccinated. But children are are not a vector for this disease. And, and by and large, statistically, that's that that is is correct. Um, you know, children can children get COVID? Absolutely. Can children die from it? Well, yes, in, in extremely rare in ex, in extremely rare cases, you you can. But you know, chances are you get COVID and you're a kid and you're you're going to be fine. Not saying I'm not downplaying it, but statistically, the odds are on your side. Statistically, for the many many people, the odds are on your side if you get COVID that you're going to you know survive and and recover. But there are people who, of course, find themselves in a different situation. Jeff, not a chance. Um, Kids need um, time to build up their immunities. I don't believe that this should happen right now. Jeff, I'll be getting my children vaccinated as long as our doctor is okay with it. And the long run, I think it will help extinguish or limit the variant strains of COVID-19, which can, in fact, become more dangerous. Jeff, for all people who are pushing for my children to get a vaccine, I hope they get their whooping cough booster, too, to protect my children from them. It's easy for people to say I should care about them, but um, have they cared about me or my children? Um, Jeff, you also have to remember that although they are not going to be hospitalized necessarily, they still get uh, sick and are miserable. So if they're vaccinated, it will most likely prevent it. Well, that that would be, you know, again, the argument. Nobody, nobody wants to get sick um, from this. And if by getting the vaccination, you can limit that. I think that's certainly a strong argument for this. My sense is, my sense is that I think probably about 50% of parents, if you were saying to me, okay, Jeff, let's look three or four months into the future. And and when it becomes readily available, I think you're probably going to see 
probably in the nature of 50% of the parents. My guess is that there's going to be some parents who are themselves vaccinated and have gotten their booster shots or whatever who who are holding off, again, because of the, the age and because they, they just want to make sure that there's no adverse reaction. Then, of course, you've got that, that percentage of of the population, whether it's 20% or 25% or 30%, who absolutely are going to refuse to get vaccinated and would only get vaccinated if you put a gun to their head, figuratively speaking, by saying, okay, well, you're going to lose your job or, or whatever. So I, I think I think maybe you know 50%, that would kind of be my informal guess about this. Um, one of our texters said the key phrase is talk with your doctor. I can't stress that enough. Yeah, I think that there's a... I mean, I think that, you know, that's obviously one of the things. If I had, you know, a seven-year-old, for example, and I'm not an anti-vaccine guy, I got got the flu shot this week, as a matter of fact. I've gotten both my COVID shots. I mean, I think I'd sit down with a pediatrician and say, all right, is there anything about this process that you think that I should know about before we make the decision as to whether or not the seven-year-old should be vaccinated. Um, my guess is it's going to be about 50%. If the government tries to be more heavy-handed with it, I think you're going to see the, this huge backlash. For me right now, make them available. That's great. The, the larger question becomes, you know, what can you do to encourage more adults to get vaccinated? Because I think that's really where the priority needs to be now. Matter of fact, I was looking at something in one of the one of the resources that I used to get ready for the show, and it was saying that there's actually we're at a point where there's almost as many booster shots being given as, as new first time COVID vaccine uh, doses, which tells me that I think a lot of the people who've decided not to get vaccinated are kind of dug in, and they're they're really. I'm not sure they're persuadable anymore on this, and we just need to recognize that that's going to be kind of where we are and then figure out where we go from here. Back with more in just a minute. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. You knew all along that this was probably going to be the result, but we all hoped it, it wouldn't be. I'm talking, of course, about the announcement yesterday afternoon, probably about an hour or so after my program ended, that, that Major Harris, the three-year-old boy who'd been missing for more than a week, his body w- was found in a storage container in, in Milwaukee. Just a, just, just a horrible sort of story. And it, it's difficult to comment on this in any great detail other than to, to note the tragedy that the, the tragic loss, you know, w- without knowing more details. There's a lot of unanswered questions that I'm sure will become more, will get a better indication a- as time goes on, you know, why, you know, what what caused the mom to, to come to, you know, Milwaukee in the first place? Was there a connection with the, um, uh, uh, I think people believe that the guy who killed himself was the person responsible for the homicide. There's a number of other people who are in custody who are believed to be, uh, associates of the man who killed himself. Um, what, you know, what what's their connection? You know, is there more criminal involvement? And I have no doubt that more and more answers will will come out as time goes on, and that's certainly appropriate. I, the only the only comment I, I really had to offer is I was watching some of the television coverage yesterday and and before that, and I, I noticed that there were some people in the community who seemed to be critical of the police, and and I did. I did just want to comment on this because I I understand the anger and the frustration and the heartbreak that people have in connection with the story. I, I get it. But to be angry with the police for anybody who is strikes me as being 
incredibly misplaced. I mean, some people were saying, well, you know, why why was there a delay in issuing the Amber Alert? And I mean, here, here's the, the reality. OK, police find find the mother who had been you know killed. They, they find her. They didn't know who she was. I, I mean, it's she. This is what happens when, you know, you travel from one city to another and they, they, they weren't able to identify her right away. Now, ultimately, as soon and so they didn't know that she had a three-year-old with her. So, as soon as they were able to confirm the identification of who she was, then you had, I think, family members from Onalaska or wherever who were saying, "Oh, well, okay, you know, she was with her three-year-old son." At that point in time, you know, all the the signs go up, and it's okay. The, the, the three-year-old's missing, and then that's when all of our phones and the TV exploded on Saturday with the notice of the Amber Alert. I mean, once the authorities found out that there was a child that was missing. I think they did everything they possibly could. There were, in fact, extensive searches that were conducted. And I know some people were a little bit frustrated about the fact that after a little while, the searches had been called off. Well, that's because they didn't have any active information as to you know leading them to, okay, where do we look next? Yesterday, obviously, something happened. We'll find out exactly what it was. But my guess is one of the people that was taken into custody in connection with this one of them shared information with the police, and then using that information, they, they went and resumed the search. I think that's what's going to end up happening. It's a horrible story. I understand the frustration that people have. But in this particular case, when I saw some of these TV reports and there were some people in the community that were questioning what the cops did, I, I just I really I feel that is incredibly misplaced. Be frustrated with the out of control level of violence in the city of Milwaukee. That is extremely fair. Be disgusted with the fact that, you know, apparently some human beings can do this to other human beings. Absolutely fair to blame the police in any way, shape or form, I think, is extremely unfair because I know for many police officers, I'm sure this was a very, very personal sort of investigation. And I know that they are just as upset and unhappy and frustrated that the the investigation into the disappearance of Major Harris ended in the way it did, as everybody else in the community is. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. A quick informational note. Uh, the way you use your telephone may change starting um, on October 24th, which is going to be Sunday. If you haven't heard this, starting Sunday, people in Wisconsin... If you're going to make a call, even to a local telephone number, so if you're in the 414 area code and you want to dial somebody else in the 414 area code, in the past, all you'd have to do is dial the seven digits, you know, the prefix, 352, whatever, and then you dial the number. Now you're going to have to dial all 10 digits. You're going to have to put the area code and the seven-digit phone number in. So uh, if... For some of the cell phones, apparently they'll tell you that you need to do this, but they might still connect with the call. But as a general rule, it's not going to work anymore. So this affects both landlines and cell phones. It also affects all of the six area codes in Wisconsin and as many as two dozen other states. So a lot of states have already done this, but you just you just need to know about it. So what can you do? Well, um, if you've got, I mean, for for many of us, your contact list on your cell phone, you know, you probably got 
tens of phone numbers in there, maybe hundreds of phone numbers, whatever, you really are going to have to go through it. And if it's a local number, you know, you've got your next door neighbor in there and you've only got that seven digit number, you're, you're going to have to put in 414 or 262 or whatever the area code is. So you're going to have to take a couple minutes to update your contact list. Same thing is true, um, speed dials on landline phones. Now, what, why are they doing this? Well, this is because the Federal Communications Commission um, is is establishing a new nationwide phone number, 988, for suicide prevention and mental national health. Um, so be, because of, of that, what they're going to do is they, they need to go to the whole 10-digit thing. So bottom line is, starting Sunday, if you want to make a local, what previously in the past was a local phone call, you've got to make sure that you've got that area code, even if you are calling somebody in the same area code. Everybody got it? That's clear. Oh, by the way, also, daylight savings time, daylight saving time ends on November 7th. It's always the first Sunday in November that it ends. This year, it's it's later because Sunday the the first Sunday in November is uh, November seventh, I believe. But November seventh is when you turn the clocks back, you know, spring ahead, fall back, and so you get an extra hour of sleep. It also means that it gets. Well, we start losing the light a lot earlier. I know we've had this ongoing conversation, and people feel strongly about this both ways. For me, if I were king, I, I, I'd allow daylight saving time to operate all year round. But but I understand there's people who feel strongly the other way. Just the daylight saving time coming to an end two weeks from Sunday on Sunday, though, you got to start. If you want to make a local phone call, you need to dial the whole 10 digits. All right. We have an absolute mess right now that is getting worse and will get worse before it gets better when it comes to getting goods to consumers. Um, right now, we're, we're in the throes of inflation, which is starting to, to spiral. Inflation has been something that's essentially been non-existent, you know, rising prices, non-existent for a long, long time. Well, it, it's back, and it's back in a big way. As I've said a couple times in the last few weeks, if you're on Social Security, for example, maybe you saw that story saying, hey, I'm, I'm getting a 5.4% or 5.9% or whatever the raise was. We're, we're getting a raise. That, that, that's great. I've got more money. Well, yes and no. Yes, you're getting more money. But the reason you're getting more money is that Social Security indexes are tied to inflation. And the the reason Social Security payments are going to be going up by five point whatever percent is because they've concluded that the prices are going up that amount. So that increase is really only designed to keep you even because you're going to have to pay more for things. I think we talked about it yesterday or maybe it was on Wednesday's program about how just Average goods and services, if you go to the grocery store and you want to buy a jar of peanut butter or something, that the cost of that has gone through the roof. Um, gasoline prices going through the roof. Now, there's a lot of reasons why we have these backlogs, because in addition to the prices going through the roof, what you're also seeing is is shortages. And a lot of people are saying, hey, by by Christmas time, when people get around for Christmas shopping, you, you don't want to you don't want to delay if you're you know running around. You know, three or four days before Christmas with like a chicken with its head cut off, you know, trying to do shopping and you're used to being able to go out and think that there's going to be a lot of stuff on store shelves. You you might be in for a real rude awakening because of all the problems that are going on. So, you know, what's happening and why is this start? Why is this going on? Well, 
long story short, it, it goes back to the pandemic. So what, what happened is when COVID hit worldwide, you had a number of manufacturers, number of factories all across the world that they ended up shutting down. You know, they, they closed down. So they weren't producing goods. Well, the demand for those goods, and then in, then what happened is you had a lot of shipping companies who made an incorrect calculation. They figured, okay, we've got these these all these factories that are closing down they're because of COVID, et cetera, et cetera. So what a lot of shipping companies did is they said, okay, well we're we're going to we're going to cut back on our shipping schedules because we think there's going to be a drop in demand for moving goods around the world. And in other words, they said, hey, the, these factories aren't producing as much stuff, so they're not going to have as much stuff to ship. So let, let's cut back on our, 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 our shipping services. We'll, we'll cut those back because we think that there's going to be fewer people, uh, fewer companies that are going to be taking advantage of this. Kind of like the airlines cut back their flights because we went through that period where people weren't flying. Well, okay, that calculation turned out to be just wrong because what happened is for a lot of products, demand skyrocketed. Now, you know, for, for some things like, like vacation travel and restaurants and stuff, you know, demand cratered. But th- this money that Americans had, they decided, uh, in many cases, that they wanted to spend it on, for example, their homes. You're, you're in your home more. So now it's like, well, okay, this is the time. I want that new computer, or I want that new furniture, or I want that those new. I, I want that new big screen TV, or whatever. I want the gym equipment because I can't go to the gym anymore. So what they actually found was demand for a lot of these consumer products starting to go through the roof. So here you've got the perfect storm of stuff. You've got the factories aren't producing as much stuff. You've got the shipping companies, which have cut back because they thought there was going to be a lack of demand. And you've got, if anything, demand increasing. So all this translates into a huge backlog for goods and and services. And then it gets a little bit more complicated because you have, you know, ships that are in the wrong places and things like that. But you put this all together and, and you've got a huge problem. And so now you've got the factories that are, are straining to produce the furniture or whatever it is that people want. You've got the shipping companies that are straining to find the carrier ships or whatever to bring goods and services, say, from Asia over and, and drop it off at the docks in, in Los Angeles. You have the docks, which are struggling to find you know people to unload it. And then even if you unload it off the docks, then what ends up happening is you still have to get it to the stores, right? You know, stuff comes into the port of Los Angeles. Well, somehow it's got to get to Milwaukee, Wisconsin, or, you know, Mequon, Wisconsin, or wherever. And there's a huge shortage of truck drivers that are willing to do it. So you put this all in place, and it's just one massive a cluster bumble. I mean, there, there's just no question about it. So one of the things that is being considered, and I only say this considered, here's the headline in the Wall Street Journal today. Biden could use National Guard to help with supply chain bottlenecks. President says he will consider such a deployment if logistics problems persist. President Biden said he would consider deploying the National Guard to assist with supply chain bottlenecks that have led for shortages. The answer is yes, he says. If we can't increase the number of truckers, which we're trying to do, 
then maybe we would consider deploying the National Guard. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, presumably we would deploy the National Guard to help unload cargo ships, to drive trucks with Christmas toys and clothes and other items across the country. Would that be an appropriate use for the National Guard? 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Eight five five six one six one six twenty, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. There, there is a huge supply chain problem in this country, and I kind of went went through you know how this all started. But but now that you have the factory starting to produce, you've got the cargo ships that are starting to come in. They're loaded to the gills. President Biden has just authorized these various ports in California, and that's where the that's where the ships from like Asia come in. He's authorized them to work twenty four seven. That that's all well and good, but that doesn't solve the problem because all right. So assuming the the ports are running twenty four seven, and assuming you have the dock workers that can unload these ships, that's great. But then once all these giant stocked containers full of stuff get to the ports, you still then got to get it out. And there is a huge shortage of truck drivers. So one of the things, and that this, by the way, has been something, it's been a problem that you've been looking at for a long time. Three years ago, the average age of a truck driver was 55 years old. That's the average age. So it, now, that means that three years ago, so now the average age is probably around 58. You don't have enough younger truck drivers in the pipeline for a variety of reasons. But now, you know, what, what do you end up doing? One of the ideas that's being kicked around is calling up the National Guard to drive truckloads of toys, I guess, from California to Wisconsin. 855-616-1620. Let's start with Don. Don, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. I'm doing well. Thank Hi, you, Don. Charlie. How are you? I am well. Charlie's been gone for five years, but welcome to the program anyways. Hi. Oh, I'm sorry, Jeff. I called you Charlie. That's okay. No problem. <laughs> Five years. Yeah. I, <laughs> what do you think, Don? Yeah, I, I don't really see this as a viable solution because how many National Guard members are actual truck drivers, right? Yeah, you right. need special licensing and training for that position. Yeah. Uh, but I think more importantly, the lesson we learn from all of this is that we need to find ways to bring more of this production back to the lower U.S. 48. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, you know, I mean, we're vulnerable, right, when it comes to computer chips. And right. everything else that the world relies on is produced elsewhere. Yeah. Well, knowing that we're in an anti-China, kind of you know, that whole thing, it leaves us very vulnerable. I don't, I don't take this lightly. No, no. Well, th- well th- thanks for the call, Don. You're, you know, you're you're exactly right. I mean, this is when we when we just like like years and years ago, where we were so dependent on foreign oil, and then all of a sudden, okay, th- those pipelines end up getting shut off, and then, you know, we there, there's the Arab oil embargo or whatever back in the 70s, and, and then we find, like, the long gas lines and things like that. Th- this is 
it's different, but in some respects, the issues are similar because now, you know, we, we're depending on this transportation system and this supply system to bring all these goods from Asia. And then, so then you, you've got that, that added step of you got to get it here. You've got to unload the cargo. Now, that, that doesn't solve the fundamental question of, you know, what, what do you do with the trucks and stuff? But you're exactly correct. I, this isn't, Okay, it's not you calling up the National Guard. First of all, I don't think that's the role of the National Guard. And to your point, the National Guard, that's not what Guard members are, are trained to do. They're, they're trained, of course, to assist in emergency situations. But are, are we going to say to National Guard members here, we're going to expect you to give up your job, whatever you're doing, and we're going to call you up and we're going to deploy you to to drive a truck? Well, I mean, maybe you could do crash course training things um, and teach people how to drive the truck, or maybe you could use them to load the trucks. But to me, that's not the principal function of the National Guard in a situation like this, especially given the fact that we're, we're not bringing in Guard members to fill in for people in the wake of a of a strike or something like that. This is just, it's a supply and demand thing, and it, it's a bottleneck. And short term, it's not going to be pretty. I, I fully acknowledge that. That's why if you're thinking about you know Christmas shopping or, or holiday shopping or whatever, I think everything I'm reading suggests do not delay because, you know, if you do, in fact, delay, you you might find that you're going to be surprised when you go and you find these empty shelves that are out there because I think it's going to take us a while to work through these showdowns. Also, the other larger point, and this dovetails on something that we've talked about repeatedly, is you've got to find the next generation of workers, whether it's electricians or HVAC people or plumbers or truck drivers. I mean, this is the deal. Where's my numbers here? I mean, again, I'm looking at this. Um, you know, I mean, I think like hiring, hiring younger people to start this career as a truck driver is got to be a priority. And I mean, I understand in, in some respects, it's while it can be a well-paying job, it's it's a difficult job, and you're on the road a lot. I mean, finding people who are willing to be away from their home and family for a week or ten days at a time as a long-haul trucker that that's that's not as attractive a job uh, to a lot of people as okay being able to you know work at home and do IT stuff and all. But th- this is part of the bigger picture. Filling in with the National Guard to me isn't the answer. Rather, it's figuring out ways how can we get more people into these professions in the first place. Is that a short-term fix? No, but it's the long-term issue that allows us to maybe avoid having this happen moving forward. Calling up the National Guard, I just don't think that's the role of the National Guard right now to come in and drive, you know, pallets of you know pallets of toys, you know, across the, the country. I don't think that's what the National Guard is for. But that does mean that if you know you're, you're looking for toys this Christmas, don't be shocked if you can't get them when you want them. Shop early. Back with more in just a couple of minutes. This is Jeff Wagner. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. So, Melissa Barclay, this Alec Baldwin story is just a weird It is so weird. So, it's very reminiscent. I know a lot of people are comparing it to when Brandon Lee... Right was shot on set of The Crow back in 1993. And I remember when that happened, it was, again, shocking, but... Yeah, I don't know. If you get a prop gun, how does that happen? Well, that, that's a lot of lot more detail. And of course, you know, Alec Baldwin has always been sort of a controversial figure, and and I think viewed 
in, in many quarters on a personal level is kind of being a jerk and an unpleasant sort of guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then you have this situation that happens, and, and they're really not releasing any details about it. Like, I mean, sometimes on movie sets, they, they use real guns, and they put, like, books in them, and there's different types of things that you can do to replicate this. But they're, they're really not saying anything at this point in time as to whether he was shooting a scene with the, the gun, you know, what – what exactly was going on? Was this a scene? Was did somebody give him the gun and and they were just playing around with it? Why why wasn't it gimmicked? You know what was you know, what exactly happened here? Is how it could occur? Well, it's really interesting because uh, you know obviously a prop master would have had to hand him the gun right and right. Th- and move forward. He doesn't know. He assumes that the gun well, is sure. is safe. Uh, sure. I, again, we don't know any details really that's coming out. But and, it's, and then you have multiple people assume. shot. See that's exactly. The, that's the, yeah, how does the, that the work? Other, mm-hmm. The other the other thing that you know there, there's multiple people shot, and of course the cinematographer loses her life. I mean, it's just it's a it's tragic, so tragic, yeah. It, it's a tragic sort of thing, and you just really want to again you, you want to wait for more details to emerge, and it, it, it certainly sounds like this horrific accident. But you kind of wonder how how could something in 2021, yes. how could something like this occur? And I, I guess I don't understand the concept of a blank in a gun. Does it just make a sound? Is it like half of the gunpowder? I'm not really sure how that works and how that could injure someone. Was there a piece of shrapnel in the gun? Right. You know, was was yeah. there a bullet? I mean, because with the blanks, if you're supposed, the way I understand it, if they're supposed to be like, like you might you might have a cloth wad or something, mm-hmm. but you don't have a projectile exactly. that, that's in there and, and things like that. And I just, you right. I mean, these are all these questions that how with all the different controls that you have on, on a movie set or a television set mm-hmm. nowadays, how could how could a a gun that was what they say hot you know how how could they get that and again it's the multiple shootings and all just a lot of a lot of weird stuff going on a lot of questions about that yeah definitely a lot of questions so we'll figure it out more details um, emerging um nobody in custody and it doesn't sound like there's any criminal charges in connection with this it does sound like there there's obviously negligence on the part of somebody you just don't exactly know how but how how can you give somebody if it's supposed to be a again a, a gun that has blanks in it how how can you give a movie actor something that's not all right um, a couple updates on some things we've been talking about i want to go through some of this stuff just to give you updates on stories that we have talked about during the course of the week uh, repeatedly over the last a couple months, I have been raising this question about vaccine mandates, and it has. This is not the issue about whether or not employers can can employers, you know, issue vaccine mandates. And the law says pretty much that, that they can. Um, I, it's not even about the question about whether or not the vaccine mandates are, are good public policy. The question is, what happens? If people do not comply now earlier this week, we had a very spirited conversation because transportation safety, TSA, uh, TSA operates under the same rules that other federal agencies operate. And that is um, TSA agents will have to be vaccinated or essentially lose their jobs. And actually, you have to be fully vaccinated, I think, by November 22nd, which is three days before Thanksgiving. And as it stands now, they estimate that about a quarter of the TSA agents had not gotten vaccinated. And now maybe it's a few more, but you've got this huge chunk. And I was raising the question about, okay, how do you go ahead and fire 
you know, a court right now, TSA, just like so many other places, it's it's way down. It's way undermanned. Think about like the lines that exist at airports now. Can you imagine Thanksgiving travel if all of a sudden you've got a quarter of the TSA agents or even 20 percent of the TSA agents that have now been fired? Can you imagine what those lines would look like? And as, as I argued the other day, um, candidly, if you're worried about the spread of COVID, I think you're much more likely to be exposed by some other passenger standing in a long line next to you for an hour waiting to get through the TSA thing than the brief contact that you're going to have with the TSA agent. Some of you accepted that line of reasoning. Others others didn't. But it th- doesn't matter. You know, if TSA goes ahead and fires everybody, you're going to have some real-world consequences. You're starting to see that play out in other areas as well. Um, Aurora announcing today that at least thus far, 440 health workers have left their employment um, because they um, refuse to comply with the vaccine requirement. Now, that's that's a small percentage thus far, but it's really just the start of those healthcare workers in the healthcare industry. I understand. I understand a better justification for saying we're going to be firing you unless you get the vaccine than say that the TSA workers. But regardless, I mean, you're starting to see people, you know, go out the door. And those numbers, I think, are going to continue to increase. And the question becomes, you know, how, how are they going to be replaced? The other area where this is really hitting home is on police departments, particularly in Chicago. Chicago has, has a requirement that about that, that workers have to be vaccinated. And as of right now, there's like 4,000 police officers who have not shared their vaccine status, at least not yet. They're, they're subject to being fired if they, if they don't do this. And the, can you imagine Chicago, which is quickly becoming one of the murder capitals of the United States, if all of a sudden you, you get rid of 2,000 cops? or 3,000 cops, not even all 4,000. Can you imagine what's going to happen? Now, some people would argue, well, you know, that what, what difference does it make? Because you, you know, will, they wouldn't, they wouldn't do that. They wouldn't call the city's bluff because they're, they're, where would they go? Well, interesting story. I'm looking at the uh, Kansas City Star of all places. Apparently, Indiana is actively recruiting Chicago police officers who do not want to comply with the vaccine mandate. Uh, the, the story is apparently they're, they're reaching out and saying, hey, Chicago police officers, we're hiring. An Indiana state police spokesperson said in a quick tweet, no vaccine mandate, lower taxes, great schools, welcoming communities. And so you know, this is one of those issues for people who always said, well, you know, if nurses end up not getting vaccinated, they're, they're not going to where are they going to be able to go? Because if the all the entire healthcare industry requires this, they're going to have to ultimately give up their profession. And maybe there's something to that. When it comes to cops, though, this is different. Chicago cops are being told, hey, you don't want to you know, you don't want to get vaccinated. Don't worry. Come to Indiana. We'll we'll give you a similar type of job, maybe even a less stressful job and a less crime ridden environment. I don't know how all this is going to turn out, but I do think it's going to be an issue moving forward. If more and more people do what I think they're saying they're going to do, which is refuse to get vaccinated, you know, will will companies really get rid of people en masse and, and how are they going to replace them? Don't have an answer for that. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. I have said before 
that I did not get the roller coaster gene in our family. My my brother and my niece and nephew love going on roller coasters. And we, we would go, you know, back when they were younger, we'd, we'd go with them to Disney World or something like that. And I just, I, I, I never got it. I, I've gone on roller coasters and it's just, <laughs> the, the idea of making these sheer drops and going around these tough turns and stuff, it just has no appeal to me. And I, I always, when I'm on there, I, I, I'll go on one and then I'll forget that I made a deal with God a few years ago that if they got me off that last roller coaster, I'd never go on another one. And, you know, then I, I try to say, okay, well, I apologize for this. But I just don't, I don't get roller coasters, which is why it really caught my attention with this story in the LA Times today. All right, if you are a roller coaster fan, Six Flags Magic Mountain in Southern California has announced plans that they are going to build the world's tallest single-track roller coaster, which will race at eighty at 58 miles an hour, climb a 131-foot tower, plunge down an 87-degree drop all along a 3,300-foot track. The ride is called the Wonder Woman Flight of Courage. It's set to open in 2022 at um, you know Six Flags Magic Mountain. What they're talking about is this is going to be what they say. It's a single rail roller coaster, single rail coaster. Um, it, riders are in a single file lane in a vehicle that straddles the rail. And so that means that it can go faster, theoretically, and the coaster can make sharper twists and turns. The uh, single rail also makes the coaster a little bit less expensive and a little bit easier to install. Um, what they say is that, look, everything is going to be more accentuated to allow us to come into turns a little more aggressively. Than the regular roller coasters. So I'm thinking, okay, 131 foot tower, tallest roller coaster anywhere, 58 miles an hour, dropping down an 87 degree track, and it's single rail, so you can go into the turns more aggressively. Our number. Let's have some fun on a Friday afternoon. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, I'm I'm reading this description again. Admittedly, I, I'm not a roller coaster fan to begin with, but I'm reading this roller co- this description. Single rail track, 58 miles an hour, twisty, turny. You can hit these turns more aggressively. I'm thinking you could not pay me enough money to go on the. Uh, that's my general reaction to most roller coasters, but you couldn't pay me enough money to go on something like this. This is just something that has absolutely, completely, 100% no appeal to me. And yet I understand that there are roller coaster enthusiasts out there that, I mean, the idea of going to a park like this, you'd be willing to wait in line hours to get on something like this. I just flat don't get it. 855-616-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. When you hear descriptions like this about like these roller coasters and things like that, your reaction, is this something that makes you say, oh, I cannot wait. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to figure out a way to get to Southern California because I want to be one of the first in line to ride that. Or would your reaction kind of be like mine, which is I just don't flat get it. (laughs) 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Did you get the roller coaster gene in your family? We discuss in just a minute. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. See, I'm not a complete 
curmudgeon when it comes to this. Like I, I'll go on like those motion capture rides where it's like the like the Harry Potter ride at Universal in Florida, where you're you're they kind of swing you around and and everything goes on around you, but it's not you actually in a car that that's that's moving. In contrast to that, I remember down at Universal they've got the um, I think it's still there the Incredible Hulk ride, which is I'm just I'm just my brother went on it a couple times and I'm just sitting there watching this and you're like zero to sixty in like four seconds. You're upside down just a couple seconds into this and I'm thinking. I don't get it. I, I just flat do not get it. We're talking about in Southern California, Six Flags Magic Mountain. They're just they're it's going to open next summer. It's the um, world's tallest single track roller coaster, fifty eight miles an hour, hundred and thirty one foot tower, plunged down an eighty seven degree drop. Jeff, um, no. 87 degree drop from 132 feet. I'm not a roller coaster person, but it's polite. I will say it politely. I think my privates would be in my throat. No bueno. <laughs> yeah, that's, that, that's, uh, sort of it. Jeff, I would not be doing this. I'd be afraid you would not be in, want to be in the car behind me, you know, when I went down that route. I, I just, see, that's just it. Jeff, I had the roller coaster gene when I was in my teens my 20s, and maybe even my 30s. Once I hit my 40s and 50s, though, I seem to have lost it. The last time I was on a roller coaster, I got sick. All the young kids were probably laughing at me. All right, here's our one of our listeners, Dick, said, new roller coaster? Nope, but um, I do have a race car that I drive at 165 miles an hour at Road America. That's enough excitement for me. Well, see, I, I'm... I don't have that. I didn't get that that race car gene either. I always remember it years and years ago when I was first starting out here. I did something. I want to say it was for the Grafton Chamber of Commerce or something like that. And they had out in Grafton, they had over, over this weekend, they had these these, these go kart races and w- with the go karts. And on the Friday night, they had like a celebrity go kart thing where we would go out. Bob Reitman, you know, people know Bob Reitman. Bob was one of the other celebrity drivers. And we'd have this own little, we, and we would be in these go karts that these businesses had tricked out and stuff. And I, I always remember. You know, them, them saying, and these were really expensive go-karts, and everybody was saying, have fun, enjoy yourself, but don't wreck the go-kart. Because, you know, I just, so which was, that was kind of my swing thought going into this. You'll have fun, but, but don't wreck the go-kart. Melissa Bark, okay, you hear this story? Largest single track roller coaster in the world, 58 miles an hour, 131 foot tower, 87 degree drop. All right, you there? Should we take a road trip to California? I think I'm good. Yeah. I'm good. You know, I will, I, I will do a roller coaster, but, that's pretty extreme. That is That's extreme. That's a big one. <laughs> that that you're you're more like 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 go to Disney World, go in the kids area, and, right. and do that that sort of thing. <laughs> the I, teacups or something. I, right. I just yeah, it's it, it's a small world. All that stuff. I I just I it doesn't even look fun to me, and and yet I I acknowledge, like I say, my brother and my niece and my nephew, they just they just love it. To each his own. To each their own, but uh, yeah, I think I'm gonna. I think I'm gonna skip that particular one right now. Let me take a quick break. When we come back, we'll find out what John and Melissa have on their minds on Wisconsin's afternoon news.